Well, here he is. All right, this is Chaplain Brandt, everybody. Chaplain Brandt's going to speak, uh, speak today. I'm thrilled to have Chaplain Brandt here. He is a great guy. Uh, I'm going to read his bio, then I'll say a couple things about him, okay? So, Ed Brandt is the Senior National Guard Chaplain serving the Chief National Guard Bureau and the Director, Army National Guard. In addition, he is the liaison between the U.S. Army Chief of Chaplains and the Army National Guard. He is a member of the Delaware National Guard and deployed to Iraq in 2008 and 2009, an ordained Presbyterian Church USA pastor and a native of Lancaster, 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 Pennsylvania. He has served congregations in Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Southern California. Ed has received his B.A. from the University of Finley, Finley, Ohio, the Masters of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary, which means he's very smart, and the Doctor of Ministry from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yes. Ed and his wife, Jane, live in Falls Church. Ed is the father of three children. Together, Ed and Jane spoil three granddaughters, and they have a beautiful dog named Brownie. Everybody in this congregation knows how I love dogs. Well, we... I am thrilled. You know, I've been wanting to do this for years, uh, Chaplain Brandt, uh, to be able to come. I've uh, hung out with Chaplain Brandt a number of times. One time was in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, and that was great. And uh, I tell you, one of Chaplain Brandt's chaplains had said when we were together at that time, you know, Chaplain Brandt likes everything done right. And I tell you what, I have found that to be totally true. He does everything right. It's awesome. He's the kind of person that when you're around, you just want to be around him more. So before Chaplain Brandt uh, speaks, I'd like us to do something because last Monday was Veterans Day. We normally uh, don't do this where we ask you to stand. Everybody else usually stands if you're a veteran and 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 you sit. But but for today, just because Chaplain Brandt's here, we just want to get an eye on this. Everybody who is active duty or retired military or as Chaplain Brandt. Yes. Yep. Very good. Master Guard Reserve, would you do us a, a kindness today? Could you stand so we could acknowledge you? Could, could everybody just launch up? We want to see who you are. Yeah, please, please stand up. We thank you very much for your service, and you are going to love uh, this message today by Chaplain Brent. Take, take John, it away. John, you're so sir. gracious. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Do it. It's all yours. Oh, and do you know what for gift you have in John Sly? Yes? Yep. It was about, uh, I think, in 2009, John, 2009, 2010, uh, I was living in Arlington, still working at the Bureau and I saw these signs along the street that said trygrace.org. So I looked it up. And again, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian minister. We're part of the, uh, uh, the failing denominational scheme across the country. So I wanted to see what John was doing. And, and you were so gracious. I think you gave me like maybe 60 to 90 minutes talking about the principles behind this community of faith and what he's been doing. So I tell you what, and, and because of that conversation, we invited John to join about 150 chaplains out in Little Rock, Arkansas, where he, he gave such an inspirational message and just made people think about looking at practice of faith in a new kind of way. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that, and I sing your praises every time I meet my denominational leaders and say, listen, you need to speak with John Sly. So I'm going to... 
I'm going to be his agent <laughs> and get you on a tour, and it'll be phenomenal. So it'll be great. It'll be great. And like John said, I'm a member of the Delaware National Guard. And, uh, you know, Delaware's a small state. There's like three counties, 900,000 people tops in Delaware. Uh, everybody knows each other. They're all related. So you got to be careful what you say. You got to do that. And so uh, I, I pastored a church in Wilmington, Delaware, suburban Wilmington. And uh, it was drill weekend for me, so I had to wear my uniform. In fact, I had to be in some place. It was a pretty big deal going on. And the, uh, the adjutant general wanted me to be there. And so I asked the associate pastor if, if uh, she would fill the pulpit, and she did. So what I did that morning, I, I put my uniform on, and I went around to the various classrooms to visit the, the kids in Sunday school. So I go to the sixth grade classroom. I got my uniform on. Teacher welcomes me, says a couple words. And so I asked the question, do you have any questions for me? And of course, one kid said, have you ever killed anybody? And before I could answer, Philip Washbaugh said, Philip Washbaugh said, yeah, he bored 400 people to death last Sunday morning. So I hope that's, that's not the case today at all. Uh, the series that you're embarking on, Service, it's, it's spot on when it comes to the book of James, and it is spot on when it comes to how we take our faith, what we say we believe, and we put it into practice. And so the, the scripture lesson would be out of James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, where, where the, uh, uh, James writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This passage really is asking two questions about life. Number one is, what causes quarrels and dissensions among people? And the second question is, what does God want you to do with your life? I mean, those are the two nuggets that are part of this passage that just leapt, they leaped out at me. And both of them focus a little bit on service. Now, as somebody who has worn the fabric of our nation, and those who have worn it and are wearing it today, I say thank you. But there's a sense of, of living out these values, these American values, if we will, if you will, when we wear the uniform. And we live out our Christian values when we put our faith into action. It looks at how we live our lives individually, 
and how we live our lives collectively as a community of faith. Now, my guess is if if you ever have taken uh, an intro to religion at college, uh, you may have been asked the question, how do you define religion? And that was the question posed to me when I took the intro to religion course way back when in college. And one answer was, well, it's a set of beliefs. Okay, set of beliefs. It's a, a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. But the definition of religion really is how you combine your, your, what you believe and how you live together so that people cannot see daylight between them. You know, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said, uh, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words, which I kind of like. It's your way of life. It's how you approach people. It's how you approach challenges and issues and perspectives. That becomes your religion, the way your life unfolds before others. And so let's talk about the first question asked, from where do disputes and quarrels arise? Years ago, a friend of mine preached a, a sermon and this goes back 20 years. I mean, he approached this. I still remember the sermon today. In fact, probably the most frightening thing for any preacher is for someone to come up 20 years later and say, I remember what you said on this particular Sunday. That scares the living daylights out of me. But here's what he said. He said, wherever you have people, you got problems. I mean, you may work in the best office space there is that Northern Virginia or D.C. has to offer, but I tell you, you get that wrong person in there, it's not a good day, is it? There's someone who is always, the glass is half empty, Mr. or Mrs. Negative. You can't do anything right. Wherever you have people, you have problems. And that statement that was in that sermon is spot on. You know, it's, it's like the, uh, uh, wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, you have 15 opinions. That's what happens with, with things here like that, right? And how many of you have multiple siblings? You know, I'm one of five, so I'm guessing there are folks out here who have maybe two or three or four brothers and sisters. And I'll tell you, that's another set of challenges, isn't it? It really is. Well, I see the heads going up and down. Absolutely. Families are a source of satisfaction or they're a source of schism. It's just the way it is. So I'm one of five, and uh, my mother just turned 80, and uh, she's not as you know, with it as she once was, and she knows that. And so there's a discussion among five children of the best avenue of care for mom. And it's not antagonistic. It's just maybe a a difference of opinion, a difference of pace to get things done. It causes some stress and strain, but we are still a family. Same thing happens in congregations, in churches. People, we're we're all in this together, but, you know, there's always these agendas that people drive or values people have or things we don't want to do or do want to do that cause tension within a fellowship, a community of faith. Families, they're a great source of joy, great source of consternation. And so when you, when you look at our society, we see this, uh, this, this tension of spirituality versus unspirituality. This tension of, of doing the right thing, the thing that brings you a, a greater sense of prominence, if you will, 
my granddaughters, uh, my oldest, loves to shop at Justice. I, have knew it, I never knew what that was until we went to the Tyson's Mall and we're just buying stuff left and right for Justice. You know, she loves this stuff. It's that brand name that she wanted to have. You know, I'm guessing there's some folks out here who want that brand name. I mean, how many here worship at the altar of Steve Jobs? I do. I love that stuff. I love that stuff. You know, my tombstone will read, he has an Apple Watch here somewhere. That's what the tombstone will read, like that. Okay. But we, we want the latest tech toys. We want the latest this, the latest that. It's a sense of status, and it goes counterproductive to the sense of humility and pride that's at a tug of war in our lives. We're striving to do the right thing. We're striving to put our faith into action, but there's that tension that takes place. There was a commercial that, that aired a couple of years ago, and it was promoting a family vehicle for people to go around in. And the father arrives in this vehicle with just tremendous excitement. He's just completed a tree house for his kids. And he finds his young son playing cards in this vehicle. And when the father invites the boys to come and play in this new creation that made with his own two hands, built up in the tree... The boys ask a series of questions. Does the treehouse have leather seats? Does it have a DVD player? Does it have amazing speakers, among other things? You know, we we have set the bar sometimes so high, we forget what it means to be in service to other people, what it means to be in service to our family, and how to manage the resources that God has given to us. Wherever you have people, you got problems. And when speaking about service, it's just so, it's so tricky to navigate those, those, those twists and turns in life. You got to navigate values and selfishness and agendas and objectives. Other people trying to outmaneuver you if you've ever been part of a meeting. It's tough. Challenging the status quo is the source of disputes and agreements. Let me give an example of a, of a church that's pretty established. It dates back to the Revolutionary War. And 15 years ago, I was the pastor of this church. And it's a fairly, you know, large sanctuary. People love to get married there. It's that, that long center aisle, chandeliers hanging from above, a deep and rich organ. And then to the side of the church, there's this little appendage called a transept with about maybe five or six pews in it. And one fall, there was a family in the church that said, we want to buy a Steinway piano and donate it to the church for use by the director of music and the choir, etc. It's a $90,000 piece of equipment back then. And the director of music was ecstatic. I mean, he couldn't, he was so happy to get this thing. But other people said, well, you know, we get this piano, where will we put it? And of course, the answer was, we'll take some pews out of the transept and put the piano there. Which caused, well, you know what, we ought to do a study. Let's do a survey. Let's get some focus groups together. It took three years to move four pews out of a transept. Now, whenever you challenge the status quo, it becomes a source of dissension and disagreements. Putting faith in action and bypassing the silly stuff 
that organizations and churches get involved in, bypassing, it, it's a challenge. It takes someone with a, with a cast iron stomach at times to go through that stuff. And that's one of the many reasons I find this community of faith so refreshing. Try grace. I, I, seriously, I tell people about it all the time. Because I believe you're at the forefront of putting your faith into action, the forefront of being this witness in the community, if you will. You intertwine faith and works to provide, you know, inspiring service to the community. Your work is reminiscent, if you will, of that, of that final exchange between Jesus and Peter and John chapter 21. You, you may remember the story. No, it's after the resurrection and Peter's out there fishing. He's throwing his net in, trying to bring something in. And he sees Jesus far off. And he gets excited. Is that the Lord? It is the Lord. He jumps into the water. He runs towards Jesus. They have breakfast in the morning. They have a fish fry on the beach. And then that's when it gets serious. Jesus asks Peter three questions. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, tend my sheep. A third time, Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I'm guessing an exasperated Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed, tend, feed. These are instructions from God. These are words from Jesus to Peter. These are words to us today of how we are to care for our fellow human beings, the people in our community, the people inside and outside our community of faith in a non-judgmental way to meet their needs so their lives can be enriched and enjoy the blessings that God has waiting for them. Feed, tend, feed. You know, during my, my second pastorate, I served this small little church in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I've been, who's been to Lancaster? Okay, okay, great. So you've seen our bumper stickers, right? Welcome to Lancaster County, now go home. That's what we say up there. That's what we say up there. And... Uh, there was a guy in the church named Tom Smith. Tom had this, this gigantic, in my mind, a gigantic dairy farm. And one December after worship, he said, Ed, won't you come up and help me milk cows? Okay. What time should I be there? 4.30. Okay, I'll be there at 4.30. So I get there. He has about 85 head of cows. He has calves. He has, you know, he's growing corn, all this stuff, a big operation. And so we put the machines on, we milk, machines on, we milk, and you go around, we change, we feed the calves. We have breakfast around 8.30. And here's what stuck with me. Tom Smith had to do that every day, twice a day, 365 days a year. If he wanted a break, he had to pay someone to do it for him. When you talk about feed, tending, and feeding, as Jesus talks about in the book of John when he asks Peter those questions, there's no break. The needs of humanity roll on. And we are called to be part of that mission, that ministry of putting our faith into action. 
Caring for a herd or flock, the community, the friends and family, it takes time. It takes an investment of time. You just can't write a check and get cow's milk. That doesn't work that way. You've got to give of yourself and your time. There are no shortcuts in caring for the needs of people. There are no shortcuts at all. You remember the passage where Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give, you, give it to you more abundantly? There, there are two words, two Greek words in the New Testament for life. The one is, is phuke, which means your soul, kind of like your eternal soul that will live on. And the one is zoe, that's your, your life right now, the here and now. You get up, you have breakfast, you go to work. It's your life right here and now. And when Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it to, and to, give it to you abundantly, he's talking about this kind of life right now. Nothing in the future, it is now. And this now kind of life changes our perspective on how we see our faith in action, how we put the rubber to the road, if you will. And we talk about caring for other people, is caring for them now, feeding them now, giving them hope now, housing now, love now, forgiveness now, redemption now, in this life, right here and today, not in the future, now. And that just opens my mind and my heart to see my faith in action in ways that I never saw it before. Feed, tend, and feed. And then when we do that, we begin to answer the second question, what does God want me to do? The first church I served was up in Perry County, Pennsylvania. Has anybody anybody been to Perry County, Pennsylvania? I'll give you a coin if you've been to Perry County, Pennsylvania. You're kidding me. I got a coin for you, okay? I got a coin for you. So I was in Newport, Pennsylvania for about two and a half years, okay? Perry County, more deer than people, okay? One stoplight, that's it. The funeral director has a furniture store out front and the funeral home out back. That's what it's like up there, okay? Great people, wonderful people. And during my three years of ministry there, we experienced a visit from the Latter-day Saints missionaries. Have, have you had the visits? Okay. And so first time they knock on the door, they come in, and I try to weasel my way out of it by saying, well, I'm an ordained Presbyterian minister. There's really not a whole lot to talk about. Thank you very much. I thought that was it. Two weeks later, they come to the door. My wife answers, well, listen, my son, my my." My, my husband's had a medical procedure. He really can't talk, but thanks anyways, and they leave. Two hours later, they come back. And you know what they have? They have a pie with ice cream to give to me to get better. Yeah. Feed, tend, and feed. Regardless of who a person might be regardless of their religious convictions, regardless of who they are, where they come from, where they live, feed, tend, and feed. We, we all need that kind of care. We all need that kind of love and acceptance. And what better place for people to find it than in a community of faith? Serving God is making a person's life better here and now. It's focusing on the zoe aspect of living, that's connected to the soul, but grounded in the here and now. What does God want you to do?
about three years ago, in fact, today's the big day. You know it's John Sly's birthday today, right? Okay? And I think he's what? Were you 38 or 39, John? What is it? What, what is it? 39, 39. Anyway, he shares that birthday with a very special man in my life, my dad. My dad's birthday's today. And my dad died about three years ago. And following the service, I went to church uh, on All Saints Day, the first Sunday in November. And uh, as I sat there in worship, the choir sang this magnificent anthem with this refrain that said, when my earthly work is done. And that phrase has just remained with me. It's like etched on my heart. Like, what is my earthly work that I want to finish? It's not just getting a job and and making money. It's not just getting promoted and wearing this. People think I'm a bus driver most of the times anyways when I wear this thing. But it's not just getting promoted and, you know, getting a new outfit. It's, It's not just getting a new house. It's not any of that. It's like, what is the earthly work that God wants you to do? So when you take that final breath of your life with a sigh of satisfaction, you can say, my earthly work is done. Our work is service towards others. To quote Marley in A Christmas Carol, humankind should have been my business. And James tells us to submit ourselves to God so that our lives make a difference in the world. We all do this and more to make a difference in the world. We put our faith into action. You know, we've all seen folks, I've met people, ordained ministers, colleagues of mine, parishioners of mine, they talk a great game. I mean, it's a, they talk a phenomenal game. But there's nothing there, there's no oomph to the words. To quote my oldest son who would say, I see your lips moving, but I can't hear what you're saying. Right? Now, we care. We care because it's part of God's instruction for us to care. It's part of Jesus' mandate to care, to feed, tend, and feed other members of God's creation, and hopefully God's kingdom. It's putting our faith into action. You know, Matthew 25 gives us another glimpse of of how this is done. You know, uh, it's it's the story of uh, the the dividing of the sheep from the goats, and the king says to those at his right hand, come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was a prisoner, and you visited me. And the righteous answered, when, Lord, did you see us hungry? When you saw we were hungry and gave us food, or thirsty and gave us something to drink? When was it that you saw us naked and gave you clothing? When was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will say, truly I tell you, Just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. We minister to those around us regardless of who they are because they are part of God's family. They are God's children. Feed, tend, and feed. When you do it to others, you do it to God. That's putting our faith into action. I want to close with this this story that has, has remained with me. In December of 2017, over two years ago. One of the most deadliest fires in New York City in more than 25 years ripped through an apartment building. A resident of that apartment building, Private First Class Emmanuel Mensah, the New York Army National Guard, 
showed up and he made a choice. Instead of escaping unharmed to live out his life as a newly minted soldier and American citizen, Private Mensa, age 26, from Ghana, went in to rescue his neighbors. He went in once and came back with a save. Went in twice, came back with a save. Went in three times, came back with a save. Went the fourth time, never came back. What causes a person to run into a burning building and save people that he may or may not know? He didn't stand there to calculate, well, you know, I may make it. He just did it. And he lost his life. He sacrificed his life for strangers so that they would live. And maybe that's the answer to the second question of what God wants me to do with my life. What God expects me to do with my life, to give of myself for others. You know, as followers of Jesus, we, are, we offer hope to people who are trapped in darkness. To quote Isaiah, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light, and you and I are called to amplify that light. Imagine what life would be like if you asked for a word of hope from Pastor John or a word of hope from me as a chaplain, and we both answered, well, (laughs) yeah, you're screwed. It's not going to happen. Is that the answer that the church gives to society? Is that the answer we give to people who are hurting? Is that the kind of help we give to people on the sidelines of life? Is that the answer we give? No, it's not the answer. We are a people of hope. We are a people who put our faith into action because we care, because we are children of God, and we want other people to enjoy the blessings that God has given to us. And so, I I would ask you to do this. At the end of the day, before you crawl into your bed and curl up and go to sleep, Ponder what you have done for others. And when you get up that next morning, think to yourselves, what's the one thing I'm going to do today that puts my faith into action and makes a difference in the lives of people around me? We should not be the cause of quarrels and divisions. We should have an answer to what God wants to do with our lives. We need to be that voice of hope, that voice of that gives a light to those trapped in darkness. Praise be to God for that message that we get from Holy Scripture. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we give thanks for the witnesses through the past who have put their faith into action, for how we can make a difference in the lives of people here and now in the work that we do, whether it be packing meals or building facilities for for care. Help us see a larger picture to how our faith can be lived. For we pray this in Christ's most precious name. Amen.